Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now, don't lie to him like you did last week. Look at him and say, it's good to see you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great pleasure of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is that every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if uh, you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read that every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Three of you believe that. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Hey, also, uh, with not-so-small groups coming around, we're, we're adding, again, sermon notes to help us follow along and, and give us some, uh, some ways to track through the week. And so if you didn't get one of these uh, as you came in, you can just lift up your hand, and our ushers will get one to you, and that help anchor you through the sermon, give you a, a way to take notes and prepare for not-so-small groups that are happening this week. Hey, turn your Bible to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 43. And if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left, and you'll find it much faster. And, uh, or you can go two-thirds of the way through, and you'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. You could say amen when you're there. Three of you, I'll wait for the rest of us, because uh, I'm stalling. Uh, hey, so uh, verse 43, are you there? Amen? It says, after the two days he departed for Galilee. He's been in Samaria, what we talked about last week. He went up into the region of Samaria, which we would call the West Bank. Uh, and now he stays there for two days with them, departs for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you, you'll notice if you have a study Bible, some type of Bible, there, there's probably a a one beside of that, and you can drop down and it will show you that when he says, unless you, he's using in the Greek, the plural, uh, which literally means y'all, okay? Uh, and, and so when he says you, he's talking to a group of people, and uh, in, in the South, we call it uh, uans, which means you plus three. And, and so he's talking to y'all, somebody say y'all, and uh, you're gonna have to say with a little more accent than that. Uh, and, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official son said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. 
Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. This is about a 20-mile trek. And on his way back, he, his servants meet him. And probably why is uh, they are telling that he was recovering, told him that his son was recovering. So he had asked them the hour when he began to get better. They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you that you would clear our minds and open our hearts to receive your word, that you would encourage us, you would challenge us and exhort us all that we would more and more see the person of Jesus and that it would change us and shape us all the more to look like you. We ask that everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. Man. So we get to this particular story, and Jesus has been in Samaria, and he's been to a region that's, that's quite different than where he grew up. And so even though it's uh, relatively close in distance, now we would think, man, this is a short, quick trip, uh, because like by the grace of God, you live approximately 11 miles from the Gaviota Coast. Somebody say amen to that. Some of you, may you take that for granted. Shame on you. That's the glory of God. Amen. And, and, and yet that's 11 miles. Imagine walking those 11 miles. And this was a 20-mile trek uh, that we find that Jesus has now went from uh, from Judea up into the West Bank, into the mountains, and then back down into the region of Galilee. And there he has this encounter. Before he goes there, <coughs> John makes this statement. He says, a prophet is without honor in his own country. How many of you are glad that you're not around the people you grew up with? Amen. Uh, so, so that's why we live in California. And uh, but here's what some some of you do, but you know what it's like to cross the hurdle of, of people knowing all there is to know about you. Somebody say, "Oh no," to that, right? I mean, that's the reality. We have to wade through some things. And, and, and I'm getting uh, up in in age, right? I'm a grown man now. Don't judge me, right? I'm 30. Four, right? And uh, I, I'm a lot, uh, I'm a lot younger than I look. And uh, and so uh, I, I remember meeting people, and I'm starting to do it now, right? Where uh, I'll be like, I remember when you were born, and now you're taller than me, which is not a great feat. But uh, e either way, you, you know what it's like to meet someone, and they say things like this. I, I remember when you were in diapers. I remember like you had, and it's weird, like you're making me feel old. I remember when you, and now everybody's picturing me in a diaper and stop. 
Okay, uh, so don't do that. But right, like I remember you when, and that was quite honestly something that Jesus had to wrestle with as well. There were people who knew him, was around him when he was skinning his knees, he was running around, and, and people would say this when they would meet Jesus and hear that he was from Nazareth. They would say things like, "What good could come from Nazareth?" I mean. You realize that uh, all of us have biases about where people are from, right? And, and, and what they're like. And you hear my accent, and you already had some bias, so shame on you. And uh, all right, all right, all right, right? And we have, we have thoughts about, and we live in a, in a vast country. And you drive across the country. I mean, you've made the trek across the country. Man, different states, different areas, even California, right? We have debates on what's real California and, and what's SoCal. And if I, if I say, you know, I'm from the valley, or I'm from Lompoc, or I'm from the good land, right? So anybody, someone say amen, right? You're with me. We all, or someone say, I'm from Orange County. Like, you already have some thoughts about those individuals. That's just true, and that was tr that's true now, and that was true then. And so people have different ideas and so people in Samaria had cultures and ways of thinking and what they were looking like and, and, and what they were looking for rather and so they had this well we talked about last week that they had somehow attributed to it being given to them by Jacob whose name was turned to Israel and so they have some type of connection up on the mountain even though they're kind of ostracized from the community they're not readily welcomed into Jerusalem and so they found a connection to Israel through this well and that's where they worship at and Jesus has this encounter with this woman at the well and then he leaves this region down to his own people and it's kind of interesting that John puts this in he says a prophet is without honor in his own country now some of the other synoptic gospels use this same phrasing but they introduce it at a time where people reject Jesus and John actually introduces this when people actually begin to accept Jesus. And so it says, a prophet's without honor in his own country. And I, I can understand what that's like doing ministry where I'm from versus now where I'm not from, not born and raised. And, and, and God can kind of use that to our advantages. And sometimes it's difficult when we go back home and we've had experiences and, and, and yet people still think, man, I, I remember when and, and so I kind of had this experience. Let me update you a little bit what this is like for me. So, some kind of experience happened where God used that. Uh, how many of you remember a couple weeks ago I talked about visiting uh, someone in the hospital and I had a little uh, incident. So wa watch it a couple weeks ago. I, 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 I'll tell a story. It was, uh, it was talking about this crew. I call them the front row crew. And, uh, whoa, and, uh, and, and, I went to, to visit um, their dad, and I went and I, I went to pray when they'd asked me to come pray, and, and we were kind of stopped at the door, and, and many of you, if you're in second service, you heard the story, I'll kind of give you the, the highlights of it. First service, it like cut off, went too long, and people were watching online, and people were freaking out, like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, what's the end of the story, right? Like, what happened? And so we had to send them the link and, and all this, but maybe, maybe you heard this story where I go to visit um, this individual in the hospital, and, and we get stopped 
at the door and they're not going to let us in because of rules. And I kind of, I kind of make a stand, start preaching a sermon to the front desk and like, Hey, how long are we going to do this? And, and I'm making a scene and they're making a scene upstairs. And, and I'm like, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to stay here until we pray for Bob. That was my, but they already had kind of prejudged me. My, you know, I'm a pastor, my accent. They're like, what's your cause here? And my cause is to pray with Bob. I'm not, I'm not making a political statement. I'm not, I'm not trying to cause a scene. I just want to pray with Bob. And then I, I, I talked to, to Sarah, who's upstairs, Bob's wife, and she says, hey, you know, I, I talked to the doctor and said, hey, if they won't let him up there, what keeps us from getting a wheelchair and bringing him down there? I mean, the, the wisdom of Solomon, right? Like just, I never thought of that, right? Like, and, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm downstairs, and now because of the scene I made, I'm now talking to the house supervisor, and, and they're like, hey, we're, we're going to let you go up. And, and I was like, you better check with them, because I think they're going to bring him down here. And, and it's interesting, we were in the breezeway. There are two, uh, like, there, there's uh, uh, um, automatic doors on both sides, and there's a pretty good span of breezeway. And, and we're staying there having this conversation, and I say, hey, I think they're going to bring him down here. And she goes, we're not going to let that happen, right? And as she says that, on this side, they had brought him out a side door, and he passes the automatic doors, and I swear there were choirs when the door opened up. <laughs> I think there were doves flying somewhere, just like, what is this? Right? I, I'm probably embellishing a bit. And... Uh, and uh, you heard the music, right? And, uh, and, and, I, and I walk out, and the whole time they were telling me, like, hey, we're, our concerns for the patient, and trying to imply that mine was not. But at that particular moment, they walked back inside and didn't greet Bob, and I walked outside, and I prayed with Bob. And what would have happened in private happened in public, and God writes a great story. We prayed for him, and, 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 and then... Uh, against everything in me, I left. What I wanted to do was to go back inside, right? And let them, did you hear the choir, right? Uh, you see the doves, right? Like clearly the doves say I'm right, right? And, and like everything I wanted to go in and, and make this about me, but it was like the Holy Spirit, like I think even like started that way and somehow he just like turned me the other way. And we got in the van and I was telling Tyler like, man, that was the hardest thing was to leave. And, and so I'm telling you that again to kind of update you on what's happening. See, we said at the end, God writes a better story than we do. Amen? And see, if I got my way, it would have worked against God's way. Because here's what happened. There was, there was a couple, they're, they're usually here in person, and uh, they had missed, and, and they, came, they watched online. They caught the second, because the first cut off, and they caught the second service and it impacted them and and they had a co-worker who's uh, a nurse and they're friends with the head of nursing over the whole hospital the chief of nursing and the sermon got sent to them and then it got shown to the board of directors <laughs> right <laughs> hey, hey, hey you don't know if that's good or not right i could be like and so next week i'm going to jail right <laughs> Right? You don't know, like, yeah! <laughs> like, and so next week we're going to start a prison ministry from inside. Right? Like, you don't know. So, so like, um, 
uh, both services, uh, that worked in both services. Anyways, uh, so, uh, so it got shown to the, the board, and here's the beautiful thing, the humility of the people over this hospital. They invited me to come meet with them, and Monday morning on Memorial Day, I went at 9 a.m., and I met with three top administrators over the hospital, and I got to share that story, and, and they just listened, and they were broken by the story. And God had opened there. I mean, the foundation of that hospital is, is founded in Christianity. I mean, there's a statue of a pastor outside, right? And, and yet they were just so humble. Asked me, like, hey, how can we learn from one another? And we try to speak the truth in love and see if I got my way. You know, my way was like, I want to I figure out how I can bring a news crew here, you know, or make this go viral. Like, that, like that's what I wanted to do. How many of you ever felt like somebody had authority over you and you didn't really know what to do? Right? It was almost paralyzing. You're just so frustrated. Can I just, can I just say, can I just encourage you prophetically? The battle belongs to the Lord. Like when, when you think he's doing one thing, he's doing billions of things. Somebody say amen to that. And so oftentimes we want to fight. Huh? Amen. Right? How many of you are like that? Right? Right? So you're like, why is the pastor always fighting? Right? Because <laughs> he makes some of us like chihuahuas, you know? Right? We can't do anything. We're just scrappy, right? So we just got, got that fighting gene in us. We just, we just want to fight. But see, here's the tactic of the enemy. Remember the passage in Psalms 23, which says, he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. See, if the enemy can convince you to leave the table... He's already won, right? Sometimes we want to fight, and God is asking us to feast at the table he has prepared. Somebody should say amen. Yeah. See, some of us should realize what he's put right in front of us. We're always waiting to fight for the next thing. We think it's on our power and our authority. Instead of sitting down at the grace that God has given us, put down the sword, pick up the fork, and feast on what God has given you not just getting up and fighting. Our way sometimes, and the story of the Bible is constantly telling us, it's the story of Abraham, that's the story of David, the story of Solomon, like of, of all these people, their way were constantly fighting against God's way. And sometimes when you get what you want, it won't be what you want. Amen, parents? So this... I know you guys got small children. Amen, right? Because what you want at the end of it, I'm like, I give you everything. Man, my tummy hurts, but I it, yeah, shouldn't have ate all that candy. Why did you give me all this candy, right? Like, like what you want is not always what you want. And yet I'm sitting there, and here, here's, here's the amazing thing, that, that the, the, the story of God is I'm sitting with the head of this this hospital, these administrators, and I'm the son of a coal miner's daughter from eastern Kentucky, friend. Amen. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise, right? Like, what? I'm perfectly qualified. I mean, what kind of story? Let me tell you where they're not asking me to meet with the head of hospital, where I'm from. <laughs> right? They know me, right? Like, we know this guy. What do you, what do you mean? They have no idea, right? God, God can use you, and yet Jesus dealt with similar 
things. People knew him. People were around him. He was, this, he was the son of a carpenter, potentially now of a single mom. Joseph has probably died. He's taken over his business. He's a blue-collar working man in, in, in Nazareth, and yet no one knows who he is. He lives in the region of Galilee, and he's nobody. And yet that's exactly what God will use and wrestle with. And those people are wrestling with the same thing. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, that was kind of the story of Jesus' family. Jesus' family was skeptical of who Jesus, why they knew him. There's stories of his brothers joking with him. He's getting ready to get, there's this big feast, the Feast of Lights, and, and, and everyone's going to be intense for the weekend. And, and they look at Jesus like, are you going to the festival? Like, are you going to go? Why don't you go down, Jesus, and tell them all who you are, right? Show them that walking on water trick, you know, right? Like, why don't you reveal to them who you are? And they're mocking their brother. Like, they've grown up with him. And yet what happens is the Bible will tell us the story of James, the half-brother of Jesus, that he'll see his brother raised from the dead, and it will fundamentally change him. And this will become one of the strongest evidences for Christianity. It's strong evidence. How many of you have a brother? How many of you are a brother? How many could your brother convince you that he's God? <laughs> Right? Like, some of you, your brother can't convince you to go into business with him, let alone convince you he's God and he's the doorway to heaven. Right? Are you serious? Like, even if you got in a Ponzi scheme with him, when, when, when the feds were knocking on the door, you're like, he did it. He made me do it. Right? Like, stuff hits the fan, you're ratting him out. Right? And, and so if, jo if James was actually trying to propagate his brother's lie and his fraud, when persecution hit, he would have ratted him out just like you ratted out your sibling every time. It was like, you're going to be grounded. You're going to get a, you know, we can't say that anymore. Right? Uh, anyways, uh, you're, you're going to be in trouble. He did it. She did it. That's what would happen, but that's not what happened. Why? Because what Jesus said was true, and then he confirmed it. And that's why when we sang that song and, and Joe paused for us on the morning that the promise was sealed, that was the morning that everything changed and it hinges on first corinthians 15 says that if christ has not been raised then all of our ethics all of our morals all of our storytelling is in vain and they hang all of this on the resurrection of jesus to disprove it is to discredit it yet they've never been able to and there's more evidence to suggest that jesus actually raised from the dead than not and that is good news amen and so he goes to this region, and it's interesting that John writes it in such a way that he says a prophet's without honor in his own country, and yet he writes it before they actually believe and accept. Now, notice the contrast between what we looked at last week, 
with the Samaritans is they, they believed Jesus at his word. He told the woman all that she had ever done, told her her life story, how she had been rejected, and he accepts her. Notice even if you're talking about uh, some type of numerology, you can realize that the, the authors of the story and, and Jesus uh, telling us his story, we learn that she had had five husbands reject her, leave her, the sixth husband or the sixth man she's with will not marry her is not her husband but the seventh man she meets is Jesus seven means completion the one that completes us and yet she meets Jesus and hears his word and it changes this whole town and then they come and say we don't believe because of what the woman has said we've actually heard for ourselves and we now believe that Jesus is savior of the world and yet we get to this one and here's what Jesus starts by telling us is we get to this story and we meet this official who comes in. He's a royal official and potentially a, someone who's on the inner courts of Herod's kingdom, who's the governor under the auspice of Rome, King Herod. Uh, he, he is in charge of the Jews, but governed by, he's a puppet king of the Romans. And this particular official is on the inner courts of potentially King Herod. And yet he travels 20 miles because he hears Jesus is in this region, has come to Galilee, and he's from Capernaum. So he makes a 20-mile trek. Now, potentially, he's on horse. He's on a chariot. He's got servants with him. And so when they come into this small little town, it is a Seen. And people are there, and, and persecution is not happening, so they're not worried about that. But people are all looking at Jesus because they've heard the rumors of what he's done. Now, what has he done? For them, he turned water into wine. Somebody say, oh, no, right? Or amen. It depends on where you're at on the conversation, right? Turns water into wine and shows us that he has power over creation. This, John says this is the first sign. Notice what the video tells us every time before the sermon. It says many signs that Jesus did are not written in this book, but these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to deal with this word Christ in just a moment. And so what they hear is that Jesus has power over creation. He can take something and fundamentally change it, something that's created. So what does this official do? His son is sick, and he seeks out a miracle worker who he hears has power over creation, can change creation, can take his son who's sick and make him well, now this is no different than maybe what they had heard the stories of their generation, the generations before them telling the stories of miracle workers. Miracle workers were not new in this particular culture, but it had ceased for more than 400 years years. There's a 400 year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God was silent. So what they have, like us, were the stories of miracles, the stories of the greatness of God, the stories of Moses, the stories of Elijah healing the sick, the stories of Elijah being taken up by a chariot of fire, the story after story of God doing miraculous things, but yet they've not seen it until Jesus shows up on the 
scene and they heard that he turned water into wine. And this story tells us that they gathered, they received him. Although a prophet was without honor, they thought he was the son of a carpenter. They heard this miraculous sign and they begin to look to the person of Jesus. It says that many of them had came to the feast as well. And so he comes to him. He, the, the King James says, besought him. Another, in the ESV, it says he asked him. But what we can know is that the official begged him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a royal official? Could you imagine a politician? Could you imagine a chief justice come in his robe? Everyone knows who he is. The robe gives him away. His entourage gives him away. And they make this trek to find Jesus. And he gets off of his horse and he begins to ask him. Then he begins to beg him. And here's what Jesus says to him and those around. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, think about this idea. There's, there's kind of three different things that we think about when it comes to faith and belief, and this story kind of gives us three levels of this. Now, first of all, he is asking and, and seeking out Jesus to heal. Now, you would think that if he's asking Jesus to heal him, that he has some type of belief, but yet Jesus says to him that unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus has to be describing a belief that ends something different than what the man actually already has belief in. Are you with me? So he's asking Jesus for what? His son to be healed. And yet his belief system is not the way Jesus wants him to see. So then let's go on with the story. He asks him, even more, if you do not come, my child will die. And then Jesus says this, go and your son will live. Notice in verse, the second part of verse 50, it says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke. So he has enough belief system to ask Jesus for a miracle but Jesus says, you won't believe unless you see a sign. He hasn't seen a sign yet, but he believes Jesus' word and then goes the 20-mile track. Could you imagine just turning, not begging Jesus to come, unsure if it will work? Imagine just the faith that it would take to believe Jesus at his word. Up until then, prophets needed to come to the home. They needed to touch them. And yet, he says, go, your son will live. Now he has to make this 20-mile trek. On the way there, before he gets home, servants meet him and says he is alive. He's getting better. And he asks them, when did this happen? And he correlates the time. He says, at the seventh hour. He then knows that's when Jesus said, your son will live. And here's what the miracle shows us. In that moment, first miracle shows us that Jesus has power over creation. This, and look at your sermon notes, this miracle shows Jesus has the power over space. Jesus, it does not matter the distance between the two. This is revolutionary. You're telling me that he has power over creation and then he has power over space? 
that it doesn't matter between space and time. Jesus doesn't have to physically be there. How encouraging is that now that we know that removed from the tangible physical presence of Jesus, now we have space and time between us and Jesus. Jesus can still do miracles. Why? Because he is Lord over space. No distance. The Bible says this, no height nor depth can separate me from the love of God. Somebody needs to have that deep in your spirit. This is about a holy man or a holy place. This is about the person of Jesus. This miracle shows that Jesus has power over space. And so yet, when, when the, the nobleman hears the time is the same, what does it say? It says, he himself did what? Believed. And all of his household. Somebody say believe. believe. So here's these, here's these, what did he believe in? What did he start by believing in and what then changed? Because he first asked, and maybe that's what you think faith is about and belief, asking Jesus to do something miraculous for you. Maybe that's what you thought belief was for. Somebody ever asked Jesus to do something great? How many believe Jesus still does great things and miraculous things? Amen? And it takes a measure of faith to, to actually ask God for something. But here's, here's what Jesus is trying to get him beyond seeing him as merely a miracle worker. Jesus is trying to give them a sign that points to something greater. I mean, miracle workers, fine. But that's not all there is. And we can get caught up. Notice that the people there, their belief, they've already seen. They've already had a sign. And what does a sign do? I'm, I'm giving you a hint. <laughs> a, sign, a sign points to something, amen? Right? A sign points on. But, but you ever heard that saying, like, they would argue with a signpost? <laughs> or that just was my reputation. Uh, right? Can you imagine arguing with Siri, right? Some of us should, or we'll end up like the scene from The Office where he drives into the lake, right? Like, don't, don't believe everything that you hear Siri tell you. Somebody say, oh, no, right? So... The sign is pointing to Jesus, but they don't actually receive the sign. See, God does signs to do what? Point. It's not for the moment. He's pointing you to the message, the message of what? That he is the Christ. Notice what he says in the, in the end of the book, John 20 says this. These signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does Christ mean? Messiah. Notice in your, your, your sermon notes, Messiah is greater than miracle worker. Messiah is greater than miracle worker. See, the Samaritans believe that Jesus, she says, listen, some say the Christ, the Messiah is coming. This is what she says to Jesus, that, that when the Messiah comes, he will tell us everything. And he says, the one who is speaking to you is he. If, if somebody convinced you that 
that Jesus never claimed to be God. They've never read the Gospel of John. And here's, here's the implication of that. C.S. Lewis gives us an argument. There's, there's only one of three things that you can do with Jesus. Why? Because of the things he said, like, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's speaking to you. The things like, I am the door and no man comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These things got him killed. And up until this point, he's doing it in secret. It's not, people think he's merely a miracle worker and that's not new, but he does miracles, not for the sake of a miracle, but to point that he is the one, the chosen one, the Messiah. And that's greater. That's what belief is about. Belief isn't about Jesus being a genie and giving us what we want because you have no idea what you want. Somebody say amen to that. What you need and what you want are profoundly different. I mean, some of us think belief, and that's what that man has. He has some type of belief to ask Jesus for a miracle. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about faith sometimes being communicated like, like it's an arcade game, right? We're going to down that clown, right? We get all those tickets, right? We're, we're, we're going to take the tickets, and then we're going to cash it in for a miracle. And we think that's what the point of faith is. The substance of things hoped for. But what is the substance of everything that you could possibly hope for? His name is Jesus. See, if, if that man, it would be a, a tragedy if that man had his son healed but missed that Jesus was Messiah. Because what's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? See, he did a sign. He says, listen, you won't believe that I'm more than a miracle worker? I'm more than a genie? I'm more than someone who just gives you what you want. I am king of the world. And that changes everything. That'll change you and your whole household and whole towns and whole cities. And it will move beyond what we want in this space and in this time. See, what it will do is We'll look for a miracle in the moment, but we'll miss the message of eternity. See, we live lives as if this is all there is. See, Jesus could do a miracle. Miracles like raising Lazarus from the dead. Have you noticed Lazarus is not still walking around today? You can figure out what happened later. There's space and time between. So there must be more to the point. The point wasn't just about healing the son. The point was to point that he would believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Not just momentary comfort, momentary satisfaction, but belief that changes our lives. See, oftentimes we, we've been sold a, a gospel that's really no gospel at all. See, there are pastors and, and messages and songs out there 
that have this thing called the prosperity gospel. This idea that if you follow Jesus, then you'll have comfort and you'll have wealth and good relationships and you'll be successful. But what if instead of success, what you need is suffering? Thanks, Dad. Anybody want to say amen to that? Right? It's like, I don't know, right? But if you were to ask someone what changed your family, you go ask some faithful people, what, how, do you, how did you guys meet Jesus? How did you believe him in such a way that it changed everything about you? You know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you about a difficult time, not a good time. See, it's our suffering that shapes us and his suffering that saved us. And yet we want to remove from that. Psychologists say the chief end of man is to avoid suffering at all costs. But then you read these stories in Hebrews, which tells us the stories of the hall of faith. Talks about those whose the world is not worthy to even know their names, but heaven knows their name. And it says they love not their life even unto death. They were pulled behind chariots. They were sewn in half. They were burned at the stake. And the world was not worthy to know them. Because they lived not for this life. They lived for eternity. See, what he's trying to get us to see is that there is life beyond this moment. And that you may be looking for a miracle. Maybe that's how God starts your faith. If you were to ask this family, hey, how did your whole household believe? They'd be like, my brother was sick. And my dad sought out this miracle worker, but we found out he was more than that. You were to ask that man, how did you come to faith in Jesus? We said, well, I thought I was going to lose my boy. And if you were to look around the room, maybe you ask someone about their story, they might tell you about a time of sickness. They might tell you about how they lost their child. There's stories in this church, friend, how people have strong faiths, stronger. And they'll tell you a very difficult, very hard story. Because this belief isn't about your religious rituals and getting the tickets, coming to church, I come to Crossroads Church, I, you know, I'm reading the Bible in 90 days. Like you over a cheap lunatic, right? Like, why would you do that? Right, this year, you know, do my... Bible study. And see, this idea that the prosperity gospel, this idea that somehow life will, will go, you'll be healthy and wealthy and whole and you'll prosper even as your soul is prospered. I, I was down south a few weeks ago with a group of pastors and, and we argued because that's what we like to do. And they were telling me about this book and I said, man, I, I don't know about that guy. And he's got a great church and probably you've probably heard some of his sermons and maybe even read his book. They're like, hey, this book, man, it's a man. I go, yeah, but man, there's a remnant of the prosperity gospel in this guy's message. And they're like, no. I mean, I thought, I thought they were gonna burn me at the stake, right? And one of them like drove 20 minutes home to get a, another copy of the book. So I would read it. Go, they're like, you've never read it. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've seen enough. So they give, me, they give me the book and I took it home. I started reading it. I started highlighting everything in it that was prosperity gospel. The first chapter literally ends like this. 
He says, we have to define the blessed life. And he says, it's not material possessions. He says, but if you do these things, and he's talking about this idea of giving to get, doing any God, praying and it happened. And, and he says this, he says, he, he says, the blessed life is about divine coincidences and giving an overall quality of life that many billionaires would envy. I thought, friend, if you could confidently sit down on the Gaza Strip, sit in Uganda, sit with someone who just lost their child, and you could confidently share that as biblical theology, If your theology doesn't work everywhere, then it's bad theology, friend. If your theology doesn't have room for Jesus, throw it away. If your theology is you'll be healthy and you'll always have good relationships and you'll always have enough money to, to pay your bills, did Jesus always have good relationships, yes or no? Jesus have enough money to pay his bills? The Bible says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. They went fishing and had to find a coin in the mouth of a fish, a miracle at the end to pay their taxes. See, friends, the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all because it's not good news. It's not good news for everybody. See, if he's merely a miracle worker who just gives you what you want instead of showing you that he's king over everything, then it's no gospel at all. That's why we call it gospel. It means good news. The gospel is the announcement that our God has become king over everything. God is king over over everything and he's trying to move your belief system from someone who just gives you what you want but gives you what you need and what you need is himself the person of Jesus that's good news See, the Bible says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But if you delight in the Lord, what is your desire? Himself. And he will never not give himself to you. And he is holy and complete and all sufficient. He is the answer to all of the things you need. He is indeed king. The question is, does your belief system actually cause you to believe that he is king over everything? That means you'll believe in such a way that it changes your behavior. If he's king, that changes your schedule. Hey. <laughs> Amen. Three of you. Awesome. If you believe he's king, that'll change your schedule. Amen. How you manage your time, what you do with your time. If he's king over everything, that means he's king over your finances. Amen? <laughs> he, 
He's king over your relationships, amen? He's king over your marriage. It's not Jesus plus something because Jesus plus something is nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Somebody say amen to that. That's good news. And that's the belief that Jesus is trying to move you from. Move you from just looking at him as miracle worker, but see him as Messiah, the king of the world. And that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are you have power over time and space. That we don't have to be in your presence physically. Because there's no obstacle, there's no distance, there's nothing that can separate us from your love and you're able to do the miraculous. We thank you that you're greater than a miracle worker. You're Messiah, you're the one. You're the Christ, the anointed, the Savior of the world. And that's good news. We'll look for you when you return again and set everything just right. All the elves, all the ailments of the world, all the wrongdoing, all the injustice, you will set it just right. Help us not to see this as a gospel that's about me, but a gospel about God, and that our God has become king by way of the cross, and we will follow suit. And your, our suffering will shape us, and we thank you that it is the suffering servant who died in our place that saves us. We thank you that you are king, and that changes everything. And let everything we say and everything we do Bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?